What are kids really thinking and feeling? Sometimes it's hard to know. The thousands of letters and emails kids send to Highlights Magazine every year help us keep our finger on the pulse of kids. We think they can also help you. So each week on this podcast, we share a few of the messages we've received from kids and we discuss them with an expert. Lean in and listen to learn what kids want their grown-ups to know about being a kid today. I'm Christine French-Cully, and you're listening to Dear Highlights. Dear Highlights, I have a problem with controlling my temper. I your at night, and I miss I my best. I get keys. I want your highlights. Dear Highlights. Dear Highlights. Dear Highlights. On my morning walk today, I passed a child care center, and the air was filled with the sound of children playing and the music of children's laughter. It was the perfect backdrop for thinking about today's episode, which is all about play, that joyful, life-affirming, essential ingredient in a happy, successful childhood. Play is so common in every day, as old as childhood itself, that we adults may tend to underestimate its importance for kids and its power. In a highlight survey of children not too long ago, we asked 2,000 kids ages 6 to 12 what they would do if they had an extra hour in their day. It was an open-ended question, and one of the top answers kids gave us was play. They said, I would play. This response was consistent with the letters we received on this subject over the years. In their messages, kids say that too much homework or too many scheduled activities don't leave enough time for them to play. Some say that the academic demands of school creates a real need for them to play. Here's how one child put it in a letter. Dear Highlights, my parents give me homework on weekends and on breaks from school. I really want to have fun and play like all my friends. Whenever I try telling them how I feel, they get mad and send me to my room. I enjoy learning, but I also want to have fun. How can I tell and persuade my parents to let me have some fun? And Nathan, too, asked us to lean in and listen to his concern about playtime. He wrote, Dear Highlights, the problem is, you see, I have to go to summer school. I feel that I'm having no fun and doing assignments most of the time. I believe that this contradicts the point of summer. Whenever I try to convince my parents to stop having me do this, they always say, is to prepare you for the next grade. They won't even let me have a week off of summer school. The worst thing is, I have the same summer school as my after school. And it's the same thing for the after school, just like the summer school. We've received enough letters on this subject to believe that conversations like this are happening in households all over America, especially now as parents and teachers are trying to gauge the effect of the pandemic on kids' education. My guest today is one of the foremost researchers on and advocates for play. Dr. Kathy Hirsch-Pasek is professor of psychology at Temple University and a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, a nonprofit public policy think tank based in Washington, DC. And she does a lot of thinking about play. In addition to being a sought after speaker at professional conferences everywhere, Dr. Hirsch-Pasek is the author of 16 books and hundreds of publications, including the book, Einstein Never Used Flashcards, which is how I first became acquainted with her work many years ago, and Becoming Brilliant, a book she co-authored and one that reached the New York Times bestseller list for education. 
Dr. Hirsch Pasek, thank you for joining us to help us better understand the role play should play in the lives of our kids. Thank you so much for having me. It is really an honor. Well, we're delighted. Dr. Edward Ziegler, father of the Head Start program, has written that play is under siege. The American Academy of Pediatrics must have felt similarly because in 2018, they encouraged pediatricians to prescribe play for children. Yet, lots of parents seem to worry that playtime takes children away from important academic activities. Do kids really need play, and are they getting enough of it? Wow, that's easy to answer, yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) Do they need play? Yeah, they sure do. I mean, let's just look evolutionarily, right? Why is it that kids play? Why is it that all kids play? Do you know that kids from war-torn countries find ways to go out and play? Do you know Mm. that even during a pandemic, children were starved for play? Do you know that our cousins and the animal species, they play? Yes, monkeys play, the great apes play. I was shocked to find out the goats play and fish play. And then somebody showed me a video that octopuses play. Now, you can't have something that goes all the way through evolution in every single species that we can find and then say, well, it's really not important. We should just blot it out of kidhood. And I think the really big problem that we often have is that we don't see play for what it is. Play is learning, all right? Let me repeat that. Play and learning are inextricably woven together. Once we realize that, we as parents can put a new lens on play and can understand what it does for our kids. In fact, I'll go so far as to tell you that the characteristics that we talk about in play overlap a lot with how human brains learn. Now, there are many different types of play. There's free play, which is very important. And if any of us didn't believe it, all we needed to do was to go through COVID-19. Okay? I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to spend any more time sitting at my computer and work, 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 working. I am so stressed, and for many of you out there, you were trying to get the work done, or you were essential workers, and your kids were at home, you feared that they were at home, or they were knocking on your door as you were in the middle of the Zoom conference call. Remember those days? They're still kind of happening. All right. You needed recess. You needed a restart. I'm so excited when I see a friend right now, you would think it was a novel thing for human beings to see a friend. All right? That's right. We all need a little more play. And while we talk about free play as, oh my gosh, it's frivolity at a time when our children have lost so much instruction time. It's not. It's a reset and a very important one. Now, You can talk about play as existing on a continuum. There's the kind of play that we call free play that's very important for our social and mental health. And there's play that we call playful learning, where there's kind of a learning goal in mind from the adult. 
And from the kids' point of view, they're just engaging in something incredible. So let's just look at some examples. I'm sitting in a living room with blocks. And I don't care what the blocks are. They can be Lego blocks or they can be wooden blocks. And the little physicist, who's but two and a half or three years of age, is aligning the blocks and balancing them carefully as he tries to make the tallest tower he can make. Oh, it turns out he's made one physical mistake in his equations, in his hypothesis. That last block wasn't put on perfectly and the entire top, the entire tower topples. What does he do? Who is that kid? Is he the kid who screams in frustration? Or is he the child who starts over again and then tries to build the tower even taller? I call that playful learning because there we see a child hypothesizing about balance, trying to put each block squarely on the one below it. And notice what I just said, on top of and below are spatial terms. So as parents converse with the kid making the tower or look over at the tower, they're using spatial terms which predict his later math readiness scores. My God, play with blocks? Is that rich? Yeah, it turns out it is. And there's scientific research to show that it is. Well, well, how about the young child who builds a castle instead? That child is making a story up. And that child has something that's going to come in and save the day. Well, it could be any character you like. It can be stolen from television, the Paw Patrol, where they're writing their own episode. It can be a Sesame Street character where they're learning to be kind inside the castle. No matter how you view it, that's playful learning. Adding new vocabulary. Ah, they have to go across the, did you say drawbridge? Did you say there was a cruntillation in the way you built the castle? Hmm, I call that vocabulary building. I call it story building. I call it the basis for narrative and language skills. Playful learning. So when we have playful learning, and we know how to design toys that are great for that, the arts, construction toys, all do a beautiful job. We're in a whole different ballpark. And it is there where learning and play are so fused that you can't even tell them apart. And that is what children really, really need. Free play and playful learning, or what we call guided play. And yet so often, both parents and educators view play and learning as two separate pursuits. Exactly. We need to open our eyes. We don't see it anymore. You know, yeah. give you a, give you another example or maybe 20 if you want them. <laughs> but, you know, our children sometimes see more than we see. And it's sad that we've lost it, but we can regain it. Let's take a walk. OK, you're on a walk with your five or six or seven year old. And you're kind of going down the street and you really thought it's good to get out. Let's give this 15 minutes. Well, your child is not on the 15-minute timeline. They're not on a time treadmill. To them, that walk is a biological exploration. 
of what they can find under a rock. Oh my gosh, did you know that leaves, if I collect leaves, that they not only have different spatial representations in the way that they grow. I mean, maple leaves look different than oak leaves. How incredible is that? If I make a collection just of simple leaves, by the way, this doesn't cost any money. There are leaves that have fallen, leaves that I see on a tree. Why, that's incredible. I can compare them. I can contrast them. I can build a category. Wait, mom and dad, caregivers, did you forget about the biology of leaves? Did you forget about the category? No wonder it takes our biologists so long to take that trip. Our child is noticing all the learning along the way. And our problem is we just kind of forgot it. Now we're going on a trip to a playground. One more, because I have to give it. Sure. Hmm, something odd appears. I don't know what this thing is. It's, it's moving with me. It's got me a little scared, because wherever I go, it seems to follow me. Except when there are too many leaves above me, then it, it seems to cover it. What in the world is it? It's my shadow. Oh my gosh, I said to my four-year-old, what is that thing? I don't know, but it's really scary. Let's see if we can make it hide. We go under the canopy of the tree and the shadow goes away. I said, I wonder, can we make it come back? We go out into the light and all of a sudden it comes back again. What is our child doing? Our child is testing the hypothesis, making predict, wait, predictions about when it'll come back? You mean our child is a scientist? Open our eyes, open the eyes of the adult, and we will change the lens on how we see children's play. I promise it will happen. Let's talk a little bit about school-aged children. Okay. I know that you do a lot of work with educators, uh, helping Uh them see the benefits of more active, experiential play, like you were just describing, Mm -hmm. um, socially interactive activities in Mm -hmm. the classroom. That all sounds a lot like play. (laughs) (laughs) It is indeed. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about that work? Sure, absolutely. Um, I, I um, I was very lucky because my children went to a school that um, was a theme based school. And um, they learned through the themes that everything was interrelated and integrated. I want to step back for just a moment before I give you examples by going into that school and then going into many other schools that we've now tried this in around the country Um, because we're trying this all over and we're stunned, literally stunned by the results. All right, let's start with why this works. First of all, playful learning can be defined as having a few characteristics. One, it's active, not passive. All right, let's think about current education systems. We have the sage on the stage who is speaking at the children who are sitting in rows of desks. All right, that's our caricature, and of course, most teachers know better. But the sage on the stage is one characterization that's used in the education literature. The other way to think about that is the guide on the side, all right? Giving our children more agency, letting them act, 
Okay. Now, when you are the one driving the learning, it turns out you learn more than if you're passively sitting there. I'm talking about you as an adult. I use this in my college classrooms. Right? So active. The second one is engaged. When you are more engaged in something, you pay more attention to it. When somebody gives you something that takes you off task, that's distracting. And you don't learn as much because you don't have the coherency that takes you through the narrative of what you're doing. You have all been there. Did you get a phone call? Get a text? Ever get an email in the middle of doing a job? Guess what? You forget your train of thought. It's not every day, every day, every day. (laughs) Well, for kids, that's true too. Active and engaged, meaningful. Did you ever have to do something that didn't mean anything to you? Like you honestly didn't care or you didn't understand it? You don't get it. It's no fun. No fun. And by the way, it doesn't relate to anything inside your brain. So you don't retain it. They can ask you about it tomorrow, like those old SAT words. And they will be completely meaningless to you. Active, engaged, meaningful, socially interactive. Ha, did you know that when parents and children are learning together or playing together, did you know that when a classroom of kids is sitting together and working together to do where the teacher's guiding, did you know that their brains align? Wait a minute, mm. what did I say? There is actually neuropsychological literature to support that social interaction is the way human beings learn. Uh, Yep, that's what I said. That is what we're looking at now. It's called neurobehavioral synchrony, and it's pretty powerful. Iterative. Fascinating. Things each time have to change just a little. If they're exactly the same as what you saw before in your experiment, you don't want to go on. But if I change it ever so slightly, you see it in a new way. I teach my classes this way. I teach the same topic through vantage points, different vantage points. And at its core, my students can remember two and three years later, something that rarely happens in a college classroom. And finally, it should be fun. Oh, I forgot to tell you, the brain responds to fun. Yeah, our brain actually pays a lot of attention to things when it's joyful. Active, engaged, meaningful, socially interactive, iterative, and fun. Oh, that's the way the human brain learns. But wait, that's my definition of playful learning. But wait, that's the way the human brain learns. Now, here's the challenge for teachers. Here's the challenge for parents. If you can present things in a way that human brains learn, then human brains will learn it better. Well, there's a novel thought. That stands to reason. (laughs) Okay. So maybe this means that we should teach using playful learning because human brains will learn it better and they will integrate the information. Furthermore, what do we really want for our children? Last part of this story, but then I promise to come back to what the classrooms look like. Okay. We can, at the end of the day, say, wow, our children are so successful. Man, my kids, they aced the tests in reading and math. That is what I want for my kids. Sure it is. But let me give you an alternative definition that includes that, but talks about happy, healthy, caring, thinking, 
critically thinking, creatively innovative, right? At kids who believe in themselves, who are going to be good citizens of tomorrow and are going to grow up to be competent, smart, socially gifted people. Oh, by the way, which one do you want for your child? <clears throat> do you want to say, great test taker? <laughs> or do you want to yeah. say, it's nested in what we call a suite of skills, a breadth of skills that we call the six C's. Play actually encourages the breadth of skills. Mm, that's really amazing. We're going to take a short break and then we'll be right back. If you like what you're hearing and want to know more about what kids think and feel, we have good news. This podcast is based on a soon-to-be-published book titled Dear Highlights, What Adults Can Learn from 75 Years of Letters and Conversations with Kids. It's publishing in August and available for pre-order now, wherever you buy your books. You know, when you talk about teaching that way, it sounds like... um it's evocative of techniques and practices that parents can incorporate at home. Um, just kind of taking the lead from their children, finding out what they're interested in and um, integrating different kinds of learning in fun hands-on activities. I mean, kids only spend about 20% of their waking hours in the classroom. So as parents and grandparents, um, it is important to supplement their education at home. but. If you think about doing it with this play-based approach, uh, you don't have to feel like you're a teacher or that you're lacking credentials, um, the credentials needed to help your children learn, right? Yeah, let me give you a couple of examples of that, too. <clears throat> My um, son, during COVID, we, we got a lot of boxes. We got an inordinate number of boxes because everything was being delivered to our house during COVID. Yes. You, know? <laughs> you and the rest of America. Yeah, right. <laughs> the rest of the world. So welcome, world. Did you see all those cardboard boxes? Did you know that they're a city? Oh, oh, did you know that they're a castle? Oh, did you know that they're a fort? They can be whatever your kid wants them to be. And once you build that, there are stories about forts. There are stories about castles. There are stories about cities. There are stories about construction. There are stories about careers. Imagine what you could do with a marker and a cardboard box. Oh, but you're remote. What are you going to do if you're remote? <clears throat> well, my little people, they were obsessed. I'm, You know, what can I say? They were obsessed with Paw Patrol. So I thought, well... Use what you got, kid. Use what you got. So I started doing story hour with them. I would give them characters. Pick from which characters you want for this adventure. We are going to write the next Nick Jr. show or Nickelodeon show for Paw Patrol. We would put out a series of characters. Could be, you know, Sky or could be Rubble, whoever it is. They chose. Then I said, well, what context do we have? We have a circus, a zoo, a forest. What do you want? They choose which context they want. Then we have to have a conflict. What happened to Skye in the forest this morning when he went in? Oh, my gosh, this is going to be a disaster. Did he? And we gave three or four choices for that. The kids pick a choice. If they're older, they can actually come up with these choices themselves. How did it get resolved? Who came in to save the day? What happened in the storyline? Now, 
I did this over Zoom. My kids picked mm-hmm. the characters. I just showed them the choices. And at the end of the day, we had written an episode. And since I really love music, we had already created a song to go with it. So when you're doing that, you're teaching actually the basis for narrative. Could you see it? Mm-hmm. That's how mm-hmm. our structure works in a story. That's how we build stories. Sure. And when our kids know that, then they too can learn to be better writers and better storytellers. One more example there. In my house, I had three sons. Turns out none of them liked the same thing to eat, which was a disaster. (laughs) And every so often I just thought, I can't cope with it anymore. I have to go out and get something, you know? Like at least one day a week we would go out and try to find the kind of cheapest restaurant we could find to buy anything that I didn't have to cook. So I let them choose by making, it was a game called Make Your Best Argument, okay? Well, Josh always wanted to do something that was going to be, you know, like meat and potatoes. Benj wasn't there. He'd rather have something with cheese, you know. And the third one, oh, my God, he only wanted pizza. Only wanted pizza. Every time we do the game, he'd say to me, do you know tomatoes are really something that is a vegetable and a fruit? And I would say, <laughs> hmm And you could put mushrooms on it, and then you get your starch. It's the best food you could have. And I was like, oh, my God. All right. So we ended up going to get pizza. All right. Time passes. He's now in fourth grade. They introduce the five-paragraph essay. He comes home one day and says, hey, everybody had problems with this five-paragraph essay but me. I said, oh, yeah, is it really that easy? He goes, yeah, it's just the argument. What do you want for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. That's funny. That's great. You know, what I love about some of your examples, um, it reminds me of the old 80-20 rule. Um, The parents doing 20% of it and the kids are doing 80% of it. Just with some encouraging words and a little bit of guidance and, you know, throwing out the boxes or, or, you know, just throwing out some basic ideas and then letting kids kind of run with it and encouraging them. And they learn. They absolutely learn, and there's so many exciting places to go. I mean, scavenger hunts, if you happen to live near a creek. Do you happen to live near a riverbed? What what lives there? You know, what's around there? Why do ants walk in a straight line? Like, there's all these really cool things that we can explore that we don't see anymore. Yeah. Because we're always in a rush, you know? That's part of the fun of being a parent or a grandparent, getting to relive childhood. Mm -hmm. If you let yourself, kids can allow you to do that, invite you to do that. I wanted to talk a little bit about play that involves technology. You know, uh, we do get a lot of letters from kids who complain that they aren't allowed to, um, or they're told they play too many video games. Um, And... I'm curious to know what your research has uh, told you about kids and screen time. Sure. Well, first of all, the most important thing we need to realize is that not all screen time is created equal. Okay. And that's a really important point. There is good screen time and there's not so good screen time. In a paper that we just published, we did an analysis with Jenny Radetzky's lab and uh, um, her wonderful student, Meredith Meyer. Um, And we looked at the 100 most downloaded apps for young children 
we compared them against our grid. Active, engaged, meaningful, socially interactive, iterative, right, and fun. Only 20% made it above the bar to really be thought of as educational apps. That's terrible, okay? It means that of the hundreds of thousands, millions of apps available for young children, most of them aren't cutting it. Most of them are Mm -hmm. passive. Kids are just passively there. Um, In video games, it's a little bit better, but it depends what the game is. Something like a Tetris, something like, oh, what, why am I forgetting it? Uh, it's called Mindstorm or... Minecraft? Minecraft has been shown to be actually pretty good um, for young children and actually has some learning potential. Um, other stuff where you're just sitting there passively, it doesn't have that. So I would say to parents, be judicious about what you choose and <laughs> use our tweet to help you. Is it active? Is it engaging? Is it meaningful? What's going on in there? Is it socially interactive? Is it something where it's iterative? Is it fun? Is there another dimension to the screen time? The same is true for educational TV. We've gone through this before. Some TV is really great. And and, uh, some programs are not. You know, Sesame has had long-lasting effects. Nick Jr.'s doing a wonderful job, um, you know, or Noggin. Um, and if you look at some of what's coming out of Disney, fabulous stuff. PBS has some outstanding stuff. So I think it's about, it's about being judicious. Now, having said that, how much time should you be inactive? You know? Mm-hmm. Kids need to get up and move. And so... I think we have to be better as parents at regulating the amount of time kids are on screens, even if they're great, okay? And, um, and we're not so good at that. <clears throat> and then we say things like, but our child likes. That is my favorite line. But my child likes. Your <laughs> child likes dessert. Your child loves chocolate cake. Your child does not love green vegetables. So maybe you should dump all the veggies, dump the healthy food, start with dessert and fill them up with empty calories. You would go, of course we wouldn't want to do that. But you just told me your child likes chocolate cake. All right. So we need to rethink the equation and balance is the way to go. And it's up to us how to create that balance. But I will tell you, But the thing that worries me most is when we use screens as partners, not as prompts. What do I mean by that? What I mean is when the screen becomes my best friend, something is wrong. When it is a prompt for interaction among human beings, then we're creating the social engagement, which is our species calling card. As I told you, It's all about a socially gated brain. And that's how we learn. We learn through relationships. We learn through relationships with parents, teachers, grandparents, etc. Video chat tends to prompt social relationships. Some of these games take over. 
I love thinking about screen time as a prompt and not a partner. So pandemic restrictions are loosening. Uh, Schools are winding down after a strange year of unprecedented struggle to keep kids engaged in learning. Some parents and educators are worrying about pandemic slide. What would you say to parents who are worried about uh, how much ground their children may have lost this past year and are thinking about how they might help their kids catch up a bit over the summer? Could play serve as an intervention? And I'll bet you'll say yes. So maybe my question should be, how can play serve as an intervention? Let's try to look at what we've been through. It's been, it's been quite a year, right? I mean, it is, it has been a disaster of disasters on pretty much every front, whether it's the political polarization that I think all of us felt, whether it's the racial tension that all of us felt, uh, whether it's the fact that our kids were cooped up for so long and had instructional loss that we all felt, look, we all need a breather. We all need some space. We all need recess. And by God, we all need summertime. And I am thrilled to say that if you look at the educational recommendations that have come down from the Department of Education, they're saying even if you do summer school, it's got to be active, engaged, and meaningful and socially interactive. Uh, They're talking about Build back social trust. Mm -hmm. Help children get over the social anxiety. We are a social species. Our kids need to see humans again. Not just us, but other people. And we can make the other people time wonderful. We can make it kickball and volleyball. We can make it engaged learning how to collaborate, learning how to communicate with other people so it's not always us getting our way. These are the critical human skills that will prepare us to learn content better. I think it's an unfortunate term to talk about acceleration. Um, Acceleration doesn't mean we have to get there faster. Our kids will get there. I know this will be shocking to everyone listening, but do you know that children have lived through wars? Do you know that your great-grandparents lived through the Great Depression? And they're okay. And they still became doctors and lawyers and teachers and bankers and sports people, and they managed to fill the gambit. Such a good reminder. They were okay. Our children will be okay. And our job is not to fill them with factoids that they will later later forget, but to fill them with experiences that enrich these moments that they now have with other human beings. And as we build what will become the new normal, which will have some pieces of the old normal, but hopefully we've learned. Look, let's face it. Our school systems were still designed at a time when we had the old, you know, industrial revolution. When we were training people to work on assembly lines that have now been taken over by robots. 
That's not the schooling we want. We don't want to train our children to be obsolete for the future. Today, curiosity, creativity, exploration, discovery, the six C's are what the employer is looking for. So let's revamp the way we think about education. And we know how to train that to help with a new mindset. So that when teachers go back, even to an old curriculum, don't have to buy one more thing, don't have to learn anything new. Have a new mindset about how we teach. Can, can you tell us what the six C's are again? Sure. <clears throat> Collaboration, learning how to work in teams. I ask any people listening, in your job today, are you part of a team? I know what the answer is going to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Okay, what about communication? Does your boss or do you value communication skills, writing skills, speaking skills, listening skills? Well, it's coming out in every survey of business. Do you need to be competent in content? Yes, you do. And we will get there in the content. But we won't get there by something we forget. We will get there if something is integrated and memorable. How about critical thinking? Do we want to send people out there who can memorize the content and spit it back, but who can't use it in a way that helps our business go forward? No, I'm not hiring you. Sorry. Long ago, Google and Apple interviewed for these very skills because the new wave of industry doesn't want to go back to before. Okay. Uh, Creative innovation. Are you going to come up with the next product? Do you have it in you? You say, but I'm not creative. Yes, you are. There's not a human being out there who isn't creative. There isn't one person out there who isn't figuring out what to do with the stuff in the fridge to figure out what to do for dinner. You are creative and you use it every day. If you only realize it, click your heels together. You're there. Confidence. What do you do when it doesn't work? Are you one who persists? Does your boss look for persistence? Do you get the job done? Do you know that you can grow and learn the things they want you to learn? Or do you give up and throw your hands up? Oh, I know the answer to this. If you're out there and you're going to be employed, this is a skill everybody wants. Don't you want those same six C's for your kids? Then that's what you need to nurture. And you have to recognize that they don't come from a textbook. There's interesting stuff that does. But if the textbook is nested in something meaningful... I forget what's in the textbook, you know? That's really wonderful. I mean, I I hope I can hear our listeners breathing a collective sigh of relief. There's so much they can do to augment their kids' learning just by letting their kids play and by um, encouraging them and tossing out a few ideas and um, stimulating their curiosity and let them them run with it. And here's here's a quickie. Ask questions. Open-ended questions. Open-ended questions. Don't ask, like, what color is this? You know? I wonder how come the sidewalk lifted up. Surely when they put it down, it wasn't lifted up so we would trip. Why does grass grow in the crevices? Why does a slug live under a tree? What's growing around the sides of the creek? I don't get this. Questions, so important.
Well, I have one more question for you. And actually, I think you've answered it all along the way, but maybe there's a summation uh, you'd like to offer. And this is a question we ask all our guests at the end of our podcast. At Highlights, we have a primary core belief, and that is that children are the world's most important people. And we also believe that childhood is a short, sweet season worthy of the loving and thoughtful attention of adults. If we as a society embrace these ideas, what might we do differently related to kids' need for play? Oh, there's so much. I know, and I think you've said so much of it, but maybe you'd like to add a few more things. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take you on a trip to Italy right now. Great. Let's go. It's a place that values children. It's a place that values children's voices. I arrived in the airport. You know that awful period whenever you're at an airport and you have kids and um, you're waiting for the suitcases to come. <laughs> what are the kids going to do? It's like so boring. You're constantly pulling them off the belt, you know, which is, <laughs> it's just awful. What do they do in Italy? In Italy, they have a playground that they have put up right in the middle of where you get your baggage. Mm-hmm. So the kids have a place to go and something to do. Wow. I mean, that's smart. That's kind of amazing. What, when we go to a restaurant in Italy, uh, do, do you know there's a lot of families there with children? No, no, no. I'm not talking about just a kid's restaurant. I'm talking about any restaurant that you go to. And the parents are having real conversations with the kids. And they're asking questions. And the children are very much a part of everything that happens in that society because they are valued members of that society. Here, get a babysitter. Hush. Okay, I'm not saying we don't all need a break. Gosh knows we do. But we need to be in a society that values and hears the voice of children. The United States is not that society. Sadly, we are shushers. We are people that don't want the mess. We are people that are afraid of the cleanup. And great scientists, great inventors all over the world, they came to what they do by not getting it right the first time, by not coloring within the lines, but by being able to explore and discover in the everyday moments of our lives. I guess my advice is be a little bit more like the Italians. Appreciate the tastes, the smells, the colors, the beauty, and let the voices be heard. And my other real advice to everyone in the U.S., is change the lens on the way you see the world. You will be a better worker, a better person, a person with less anxiety, a person with more self-worth. If you too open your eyes to see again where there are shadows and to see again where the slugs live under the rocks. Mm. The world is a glorious place doesn't need fancy toys. It's all there for the asking. If only we take care of it and value it 
and talk about it and experience it. Thank you, Dr. Hirsch Pesek. That was beautiful. And thank you for um, taking the time to be with us today and share with parents uh, your important and insightful findings. It's such a, it really is such a pleasure. I've been, uh, I've been using highlights since I was a little kid. I always remember the only great thing I remember about going to the dentist's office is that they always had the highlights magazine. And you know, for me, as a grown-up four-year-old, I should tell you actually one other thing just in closing, as I say my thank you to you. My granddaughter, who has just turned six, <clears throat> told me that she never really understood why I like to play, but she's so happy that I do. <laughs> and she said to me one day, do you know what you are? And I said, no. And she said, you are a little grown-up. My wish to all of you is that you can be little grown-ups. I love that wish. Thank you. May it be so. May it be so. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to help us reach more grown-ups who care about kids. And if you'd like to send a comment or suggestion to me directly, please email me at christine at highlights.com.